Good morning. Um, it is good to be in the house of God with the people of God this morning. And I have had uh, the distinct pleasure of being um, at Historic First Baptist Church this morning to uh, share with them. Um, and I feel like we're con continuing today. I want to say thank you to the tailors who are working diligently behind me to make room for me to get loose up here. All right. Um, so now, whatever my plans were, I have to make use of this space that you have made for me. Um, and I, uh, so it's been a great day in the Lord. Uh, I hope you've been able to feel his presence here with us today. And um, there is no sweeter time of year where that is um, the case when he shows up. This is about the visitation of the Lord. Advent means arrival. That's all that word means. And so today we are continuing on with our uh, series about the names of Jesus. As we have said um, throughout this series, there is uh, so many names for Jesus in the, in the scriptures, names and titles that are, that are attributed to him, over 120 or so, names like Prince of Peace, Bread of Life, Bright and Morning Star, Root of Jesse, Balm in Gilead even, the true light, the bread of life, all of these are names of Jesus. And we've been saying from the beginning, this is um, because he is more to us than our words can say. He's more to us than can be named. And so we've been repeatedly bringing up this image of a jewel that is turned in the light. And as you turn that jewel in the light, the light comes through at a different angle. Uh, it's a whole new experience of that jewel every time you turn it. And in that sense, as we've gone through these different names of Jesus, it's like we're turning that jewel that he is and, and receiving more and more a different aspect of his glory, a different aspect of his love, a dis different aspect of his care for us. And that is important for a number of reasons. One, because it helps us get a, a, a bigger sense, a wider sense of who he is. And as we are up here and as we are saying simple things like, your goodness is running after me. My prayer is that there would never be a time when we would say, ah, it's, I'm kind of moving past that, you know. Um, that, that, there would, that this discussion of who God is would open up those simple words to us and just make them devastating to us. And I pray that's what's happening with you as we go through these names of, of Jesus, that his glory is on display more and more in your life. But the other side of that is this. You are going to go through different seasons in life. You're going to go through different experiences in life. There's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. There's going to be a lot of bad days together sometimes and a lot of good days together sometimes. As you go through this journey... You're going to need all these different aspects of Jesus. Because there's going to be days when we are swallowed up in darkness and we need to know that Jesus is the light, the true light that is shining already. There are going to be other days when we're lost and we need him to be our good shepherd. There's going to be other days when we are broken and we need him to be a good physician to us. There's going to be other days when we are alone and we need to be reminded that he is the friend of sinners, even a sinner like me. Today we're going to turn that jewel again and consider what it means that Jesus is our Emmanuel. 
Emmanuel. Because there's going to be days when you feel alone. And you will need to know, Emmanuel, God is with you. God is with you. So with that said, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be looking at two passages of Scripture today uh, in some detail. But beginning, uh, but we want to begin in Matthew chapter 1, and we'll be focusing on verses 22 and 23. But just to give those verses some context, let's begin. I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. So this is Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. If you are willing and able, would you stand with me at the reading of his word? I'll be reading from the New International Version. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph saw, uh, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, but... After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Um, now, this is a familiar scene to, uh, to us, especially at this time of year. Uh, and the focus of this is on the angel coming to Joseph and what the angel says to Joseph concerning Mary and her pregnancy, but we notice that at the end of that section where the angel is talking, you'll notice that Matthew, the author of this gospel, offers some commentary in verse 22. Did you notice that? Just making sure y'all still out there, did you, did you notice that? Verse 22, it happens uh, uh, that, that, that Matthew gives commentary to what the angel Said He says that all of this happened to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now, that prophet's name is Isaiah. He's referring to Isaiah, and he, sp and, and he spoke a prophecy concerning Emmanuel around 700 years before the birth of Christ. And we are going to look at that prophetic moment in just a second. But before we do that, I want to take just a second here to point out that Matthew not only reminds us that the, uh, about the prophesied coming of Emmanuel, but he also reminds us that that Emmanuel comes with a sign preceding, okay? There's a sign that's preceding the coming of Emmanuel. And the sign of Emmanuel, the sign that points to Emmanuel is what? It's the virgin birth, right? The virgin will give birth to a son. That's the sign. How do you know who, which child is Emmanuel? It is the child of the virgin that had a baby. That's the sign. Signs play a very important role in the scriptures. And they pay, play a role that is very much like the road signs that you and I encounter every day when we're driving around. A road sign lets you know that something is coming, something is changing about the road in front of you. Something's about to happen and you need to pay attention to that change. So um, 
with that said, let me tell you about uh, the only, like, legitimate wreck I've ever been in, all right? I've been in some fender benders here and there, and I pray this is the only one. I, I hope I'll be able to keep saying this is the only one, uh, but it was a significant one when I was 18 years old, and I was living in San Marcos, Texas, and I worked in New Braunfels, Texas at the nation's largest water park by the name of Schlitterbahn, which is a uh, German word that means slippery slide, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I would drive every day down to New Braunfels, about a 20-minute drive. And, you know, you, you, have, you get used to a drive, and you just do it kind of without thinking. Uh, it was raining this day I was going to work. I will admit I was probably pretty, in, you know, jazzed about that because at a water park on days when it's raining, you get to stand there a lot and make money doing it instead of working. But anyway, I'm not saying that was nothing in my mind about that as I was driving. Uh, but I came to a curve in the road, a pretty significant curve in the road, taking it many, many times. But in the rain, I started to turn the wheel and nothing was happening. The car just kept on going. This curve uh, is marked by about five or six giant pylons, about this big wood painted yellow um, in case you run off the road, which I did and hit one of those pylons, took it right out of the ground, and went down into the ditch on the other side. And, um, you know, that's, I took that pylon out because I was driving my grandmother's 1978 Ford Granada. Now, that, they don't make cars like this anymore. These cars had actual steel in them. They got about five miles to the gallon. And when I crawled out of there, I was fine, no big deal, crawled out. You know, you had to walk to a payphone and, you know, get help and all that kind of stuff. They came and pulled that car out, not a dent on it, started up, drove it home, all right? <laughs> uh, so really no harm, no, you know, no foul on this whole thing. I was fine. The car was fine. Everything was okay. Um, I did notice the next time I drove that road that, uh, you know, several feet before that curve, there was a sign that I hadn't noticed before. It has an arrow going like this, you know, like, and it's supposed to be real bright and shiny and all that kind of stuff. You all seen those signs before. Um, and what is that sign trying to say to me as the driver, especially in the rain, is pay attention. Pay attention. There's something coming. The road is changing dramatically up ahead. So you need to get your head out of the clouds for the moment. Hands at two and ten, right? That's what they used to say. I've heard it's three and nine now, if you're taking, you know, classes these days, but at two and ten at the time. Pay attention. If you pay attention to this sign and you react to what's coming, everything's going to be fine. But if you don't, you might end up in a ditch. <laughs> that's a lot that goes into that little sign right there, I recognize. But at the end of the day, that's kind of what it's saying. We need to understand that signs in the Bible function very much this way. Wonders, miracles in the Bible and today, we'll talk more about that later, they function as in many ways like that sign. They are meant to get your attention. The virgin birth is a miracle. It's out of the ordinary. It's meant to because it's meant to get your attention because the point is not the sign. The point is what's coming after. The, the point is what it's pointing to. So 
as miraculous as the virgin birth is, it is pointing, it is not an end. It's pointing to something beyond it. It is a sign. The virgin birth is a sign that says pay attention because things are changing on this road that you are on. Something is about to happen and you better be ready for it. If you heed the sign and you give attention to what the virgin birth is declaring, you are going to get home all right. But if you don't, you might end up in the ditch. Y'all with me so far? So whenever the Bible mentions a sign, you need to pay attention. Whenever you see a sign, a miracle, a wonder, you need to pay attention because of what is coming next. Whatever that sign is pointing to, it's a huge deal. That, that, that the, the, the point is not the miracle. The point is what the miracle is pointing to. And that makes sense. Then we will move on. Is everybody cool? Everybody all right? Let's then, with that in mind, turn back in your scriptures a little further to your left to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. And um, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 7. And let me just say, if you get turned around in here as we're talking through, I'm going to give you the cliff notes after, okay? When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king resident of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. That's just a statement to tell you what's going on at the time when this happens, okay? Now, the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim so that the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out and you take your son, Shir Jashub, and meet Ahaz in the end, at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field and say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of their fierce anger, the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Romalia. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is, in, is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to even be called a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramaliah's son. So... Pay attention. If you, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. I want to draw your attention to that phrase before I continue. And let me say it positively as well as negatively. If you stand in your faith, you will stand firm. But if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. And then Isaiah says, here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you also try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And the sign is this, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And this too is the word of the Lord. Now, 
as I said, let me give you the, the cliff notes of this real quick if you had trouble keeping track of who's who. The name you want to remember here most, there are three kings that are mentioned. The one you want to remember is Ahaz. He is the king of Judah. Ahaz finds out early on in our, in our reading there that, the, that two other kingdoms to the north are going, have, have allied together against him. And these two kingdoms are going to go in together and attack Judah, take Ahaz off the throne, and put somebody else on the throne. And Ahaz is understandably terrified. In fact, in verse 2, it says that he is shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Now, as all this is happening, the Lord comes to Isaiah, the prophet, tells him to go to Ahaz, and he tells Isaiah to take his son, Shear Jashub, and go see Ahaz and say to him, don't worry, stay calm, stand firm, don't be afraid, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, of these two chumps up to the north. Whatever fire they think they're going to bring down on you, they, they are smoldering pieces of firewood. I'm not saying they're not a little hot. I'm not saying they can't burn you a little bit if you touch them, but don't worry. Don't worry. In 65 years, they are burning out. Neither one of them is even going to be a nation anymore. So Isaiah does just that. He goes to Ahaz and he says, and he says it this way. Listen to this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. Ahaz is shaking like a leaf. He's terrified. It, listen, it's not going to take place. It's not going to happen. These nations are burning out. And the Lord had me bring my son, one of my sons with you, with me, to serve as a, as a sign to you. Because his name, Shear Jashub, means, means a remnant will return. So, so let's say worst case scenario. These folks attack you. You got to do battle with them. Maybe they hurt you a little bit here and there. Don't worry. They can do their worst. They can combine their armies. They can put their chariots together. They won't beat you. They won't beat you. And here's why. Because I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you. All you have to do is stand firm and trust what I'm telling you. Put your trust in me. And this is God's promise if you'll do that. If you put your faith in me, Nothing can defeat you. Let them come with everything that they have. You will stand firm. But there's a flip side. There's a warning that comes with this promise. It's there at the end of verse 9. I mentioned it. If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. So the word is this. The promise that God is making to Ahaz through Isaiah with the seal of a sign by the name of his own son. And I got to think of Isaiah suddenly realizing why the Lord had him name his child the way he did. Isn't it a blessing when God, he doesn't have to do it. He shows you how he's been at work all this time. And I just think of Isaiah being excited. Listen, listen to what the Lord said. Because Isaiah is always bringing trouble to folk, you know. I mean, being a prophet was tough in the old days. You know, you had to like lay out naked for a month. Marry somebody you don't want to marry because it's just telling a story down the road somewhere. Name your kid what they tell you. Do you know what the Lord tells you? You don't get to pick out, you know, your granddaddy's name. It's Shier Jashub. I'm sorry. But he has this moment. Hey, go tell, go tell Ahaz. Hey, don't worry. It's not going to happen. 
and take your son because his name is a sign that what I'm saying is true. Whoa, you know, Isaiah's like, great. You can see this payoff, right? So he goes to Ahaz. And the word is this, put your faith in me and you will stand firm. If you choose to put your faith anywhere else, you will not stand at all. You'll not stand at all. Now, just so this doesn't get stuck in the Old Testament for us as an Old Testament story, let me just pause here for a moment, put a little paragraph, what is that? It's not quotation marks, what is it when you, brackets, parentheses, yes, I'm opening a parentheses here, okay? Let me just do that, open a parentheses, and say this uh, to us. There are amazing promises in Scripture, amen? I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's an amazing promise. Ask what you will. Whatever you ask for in my name, and it will be done to you. It will be done for you. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, uh, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. There are amazing promises in Scripture. And we need to understand that if we put f what they require, all they require is faith. And we have said it many times during this sermon series, and I want to just say it one more time. Faith is not just belief. Belief is just the beginning of faith. So a lot of times you say, that's, that's against my faith. That's against the things that I believe, but faith is trust. And we talked about last week about sitting down in a chair. That's faith. I don't just look at a chair and say, oh, the chair looks like it could hold me and call that faith. Faith comes when I sit down in that chair and I rest in it. So when I put my faith in God, those promises are secure. The, the, whatever the odds look like, it's secure, right? But if my if my faith is not there, if my faith is anywhere else, then it's not only like, that's not only, I don't have, it's not only that I don't have a place to stand, it's like I'm not going to stand at all. There's nothing to stand on. That's the message that Isaiah has for, uh, for Ahaz and he has for us. Put your trust in me, you will stand firm, put your trust elsewhere, and you will have no place to stand at all. Now going back to the text, parentheses closed. Uh, God does something extraordinary here. I am not aware of anywhere else in Scripture where God does this. He wants Ahaz to believe this. He's already given a sign in the name of Isaiah's child. But he can see that this is difficult. And look at verse 10. So he says, uh, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz and said, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whatever it is, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. God says this, look, what God says to Ahaz is, is this. You pick the sign. I want you to believe this. And I know that the odds look impossible. I know in the face of the odds that you are facing that what I'm saying to you looks outrageous. And so I'm, I'm telling you, pick a sign. Pick a sign. And I'll do it. And I'll bring it to pass. Just so you can say, yes, this is true. Right? You pick the sign. I'm not aware of any other time in Scripture. Some people go ahead on and say to God, uh, how about I put out this fleece? And, you, and, and, and sometimes God says, okay. But I'm not aware of any other place in Scripture where he says, you know what? You, you pick the sign. The sign of this name of Isaiah's son is not enough for you? I realize this is, this is bad odds here. You pick the sign. But get this, Ahaz refuses to do it. Look at verse 12. 
Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, I understand that this sounds pious. It's a good church answer. You're standing in front of the prophet. It's always good to say, I will not test the Lord. You know, that's going to sound great. Problem with the Bible is that it catches Isaiah out in a lie here because the same story is recorded in 2 Kings. And what fills in what's missing here in 2 Kings 16, verse 7, and I'll just read this to you. Same story, same thing that's going on. It tells us what Ahaz has already done. Ahaz, and this is again uh, 2 Kings 16, 7, Ahaz sent messengers to say to Tilgath, who is the king of Assyria, another country nearby, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of Aram and the king of Israel who are about to attack me. So King Ahaz has already sought the aid of another king. Ahaz has no intention of placing his trust in God here because he's placed his trust in in another king. In fact, he said, I'm your servant to that king. He's put himself at the feet. I'm your vassal, he said to that king. So this is where his trust really lies. lies. Now another aside here is this. I have to wonder how many of us come into church and say the things that we know we ought to say. We talk to good church folk on the phone and we know the things that we ought to say. But our trust is not found in God. Our allegiance has already been promised elsewhere. We've put our heart somewhere else. We've put our chips in somewhere else. So whatever reason that Ahaz is making nice with the prophet, his grandfather, Hezekiah, was a, was a, was a king after God's own heart. But Ahaz is not so. But maybe he wants to keep Isaiah on the good, you know, whatever. So he says the right thing. But his actions show that he has put his heart elsewhere. He's put his chips in elsewhere. His faith is elsewhere. And I find that sometimes that's even hard to see in yourself is where you've really put your trust. You know, we're so enculturated in church culture. And we say it so many times, and I trust the Lord, you know, that we convince ourselves and but really our trust is elsewhere. Now, thankfully, God is faithful in we are not, even when we are not. And so he says, fine, you won't pick a sign, I'll pick one. Because God is not just doing this for Ahaz's sake. He's doing it for the people of Judah. And he wants them to know that he's going to keep his promise, that a remnant will return, that they're not going to be destroyed. And so look at verse 13 and 14 again. Isaiah said, Here now, you you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, you won't pick a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. And here's the sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, another name of another child. Just Just like Isaiah's son is named, And that name has a meaning, so this child will be named such that has meaning. And the meaning of that name applies to everything that that, that God is trying to say to Ahaz right now. You don't have to be afraid because of Emmanuel. 
because I am with you. Now, this idea of Emmanuel is deep. We're going to talk about this whole, the depth of Emmanuel here. When John comes along and says that the word becomes flesh and dwells among us, that's Emmanuel, right? When we say that that Jesus did not... came as a servant, he, he, he lowered himself and came as a servant. That has to do with Emmanuel. This is a deep, deep uh, uh, a term here. But let's not lose sight of the plain fact of what he's saying to this king. You don't have to be afraid because I'm with you. If you put your trust in me, you've got nothing to be afraid of. You put your trust elsewhere, you do. You do. When the virgin gives birth, we'll call her child Emmanuel. And in that child, you can place your trust. Whatever your circumstances are, you can trust in that child. No matter how high the odds are stacked, you can trust in the child whose name is Emmanuel because the very name means I am with you. And if I am with you, then who can be against you? I who did not, this is, imagine, this is what God is trying to communicate to Ahaz. I who did not spare my own son to take it out of the New Testament version of this same phrase, but gave him up for you. How will I not also graciously give you all things? Who can bring a charge? Who can bring a charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus died. He was raised to life and is at the right hand interceding for you. So who shall separate you from the love? of God in Christ Jesus shall trouble, shall hardship, shall bad odds, bad credit, (laughs) bad teeth, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. No, in all these things, you are more than a conqueror in Christ. In all these things, because your Emmanuel has come, and, if, and the promise of Emmanuel is this, I am with you. If you place your trust in Emmanuel, then you can be convinced that neither death, nor life, nor, nor angels, nor demons, nothing in the present, nothing in the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, anything else in all creation, will be able to separate you from my love. Because I'm with you. That's what with you means in the mouth of God. And Ahaz missed it. He put his trust in horses. He put his trust in chariots. He missed the sign and he ran off in a ditch. And so my prayer for us this Advent season is that we would not miss the signs. We would not miss the sign. We would wake up, we would give attention, hands at 10 and 2, and look for what's coming. Pay attention to what's coming. We need to marvel at the miracle of the virgin birth this time of year. We need to marvel at the faith of Mary who said yes to God without hesitation. That we would, I, I, I pray that we would marvel in that all of that is a sign, it's a wonder. But I know that Mary would be disappointed if we stopped at marveling at her yes and did not look beyond that to the yes of God in Emmanuel. Because 
the sign that she was points to the one that is coming. The promise of Emmanuel is this. Put your trust in me. You will stand firm, for I am with you. Put your trust anywhere else, and in the end, you will not stand at all. Now, as I close, I'd like to take this one step deeper because the promise of Emmanuel, as I said earlier, is incredibly deep. It's very layered. And we see much on this side of the cross, this side of Jesus, that Isaiah had no idea about when he spoke it. For us, we get to see Jesus who came and was not satisfied for the promise of Emmanuel to be fulfilled only for the 33 years that he walked this earth. Are you all with me? He was not satisfied to give the promise of Emmanuel only to those people who were lucky enough to live when he lived and live in the area that he lived in. That was not enough for him. And so Jesus told us after his resurrection that when he ascended back to the Father, he would not leave us alone. So the promise of Emmanuel is not just, I will physically be with you. That's a miracle. It's a miracle that God wrapped himself in flesh. Y'all, there are about 14 sermons here. I went through all of them trying to get to this one today. I thought about this. What is what God had to give up to be wrapped in flesh? And what we gain from his sacrifice, that's worthy of its own sermon. <clears throat> I've told this story before, but I heard uh, Joni Erickson Tata, who is a Christian author and speaker, is a quadriplegic in daily pain. And in her first nights, uh, not being able to move her arms and legs, has a blanket across her and, and is, gets hot. And she can't do anything about it. And what comes to her mind is the incarnation of Jesus and, and the limiting that Jesus goes through to, be, to enter into human flesh, right? And even though she will be free of that, 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 uh, that wheelchair one day, she hopes it's with her in heaven as she walks around because it's what taught her the most about Jesus, she says. Now that's worthy of a sermon right there. It's amazing that God came in the flesh. He came to us like a, like, like, see, I'm going ahead, going out, I'm going to go ahead and preach all these sermons. I, I apologize. But this stuff that we've said before, have you ever had a bird trapped in your house? You can't get that bird out. You open the windows, they won't go out the windows. You open the door, they don't go out the door. But what if you could be a bird? And you could say, come on with me to freedom. That's an amazing thing. This is what happened in the incarnation. This is amazing that Jesus came and wrapped himself in flesh for us. But that wasn't enough for God. That wasn't enough for Jesus. Just that he would show up in the flesh. That's amazing. That's absolutely essential belief in Christian theology. But the rest of the absolute essential belief is this. That Emmanuel, the promise of Emmanuel, is not just that God is with us, but God is within us. And so there was another sign. Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem and sit in the upper room and wait for a sign. And that sign came in the form of a mighty rushing wind. That sign came with tongues of fire from heaven. That sign came with all those disciples going out into the streets and being able to preach the mighty works of God in languages that they didn't know to ears in the, their native language, that they heard it in their native language. 
And these were the signs of what? Of Emmanuel. God is within us. He is with us always, at all times. Not just in the physical proximity of Jesus of Nazareth, but in everyone who will follow after Jesus. Now, that is too much, right? Too much. What they found, here's what, here's what, those, here's what those disciples found after some time, is the spirit of Jesus in them started to act out Jesus in them. And they found that they could heal sick people in Jesus' name. They found that they could cast out demons in Jesus' name. They found that they could raise the dead in Jesus' name. Because the spirit that raised Christ from the dead was living within them. And it wasn't them doing the work. It was the spirit of God within them. Now, what do we say? A sign, a miracle, a wonder. What are all these things? They are signs. They are signs. So the point is not that they can work miracles. The point is that everyone around them hears loud and clear there is another kingdom coming where death doesn't reign. There is another kingdom coming where all our tears will be wiped away. There is another kingdom coming where we will die no more. That's the point. Those signs that they're able to do are like road signs saying, this road that you are on, it's going to turn up ahead. Everything is going to change. There is another kingdom coming. There is another king that is coming. Whatever kingdom that you're a part of right now, whatever the king that you're following right now, you better hold on to that steering wheel for a second. You better hold on. You better get ready. You better pay attention. The road is going to shift. And if you won't receive this sign, if you won't look to what this sign is pointing to, you're going to find yourself in a ditch. But if you will... If you will, well, to all those, to all those that received Jesus, he gave them the right to become sons and daughters of God. That's a place to stand, wouldn't you say? That's a place to stand. If you miss the sign, you miss Emmanuel. And it will be for you like it was outlined by the prophet Isaiah. If you do not stand firm in the trust in God, then you will not stand at all. Brothers and sisters, I'm not preaching to you fair if I don't remind you that the wages of sin is death. Sin is where we put our trust in anything else other than God. The wages of sin is death. We believe that that is real. We believe hell is real. But we also believe that heaven is real. And we believe that heaven invaded earth when the virgin gave birth to a son and called his name Jesus, Emmanuel, God is with us. Brothers and sisters, it's not only with our lips that we are to declare to the world that there's another kingdom coming. It is with our lives, 
It's with our gifts, our spiritual gifts. It's with our churches. It's with our actions. It's with our prayers. It's with our ministries. They are to serve as signs that testify to the coming of Emmanuel, signs that testify to the world around us saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen His glory. We have seen His glory, and I'm telling you, it's coming. I'm telling you as a witness, it's coming. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the good news we get to proclaim to all the weary travelers, the distracted travelers all around us. We get to be the sign. We get to say, Emmanuel is coming. And if you will make ready and receive Emmanuel and believe in his name, he will give you a place to stand. He'll give you a new name, a sure inheritance. And he will give you the right to become a child of the Most High God. I wonder if there's anyone in this room today that would be willing to say, God healed me, whether it's emotional, physical, mental, spiritual. Is there anybody in this room that would be willing to say, God healed me? If so, would you be so bold as to say amen right now? Amen. If God, if, if there's anybody here that was so lost, so turned around, so messed up, and yet the Lord came and left the 99, came to the one and found you and brought you back home, would there be anyone willing to raise their hand and say amen? Just put your hand up for a second, just for a second. Now listen, what that is is a testimony. That's a testimony. That's a sign. God has worked a miracle in your life. And I don't want us to shy away from blind eyes coming open. I don't want us to shy away from club feet being turned around the other way. I don't want us to shy away from those things. But I want us to also recognize miracles everywhere we see them. Those are all signs and all of you that raised your hands, what God's given you is a sign that he is real. And that sign is to be declared. Don't hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. Right? Testify to that. Testify to that. We had a, a minister come from South Africa here once that preached from this passage about an open grave. You all remember that? About an open grave. And I'm sure some of you feel like you have an open grave. Your mess is on display, right? Your mistakes are on display. Okay? Listen. Listen to what I'm telling you. <laughs> if they can see how lost you were and how found you are, that's a, that's a sign. That's a testimony. That's a, that preaches. And trust me when I say as the more lost you are than however messed up it got, you have a ministry, you have a testimony that only you can preach, that only you can say. And in the economy of God, that, is, that suffering is never wasted because there's somebody that's going to hear that from your lips in a different way than they're going to hear the same thing from my lips because they know you've gone through what they've, they've gone through. You have a testimony if you're a believer in Jesus you are a sign if you are a believer in Jesus. So I want you to use your spiritual gifts. I want you to declare the goodness of God in your life. 
I don't want you to overlook what God has done because you're kind of in a funk right now. I want you to look back and say, God has made a testimony out of me. You're a sign. And it is your privilege and my privilege to stand and testify that the Lord gave me a place to stand. This is the sign of Emmanuel. I am with you. If you put your faith in me, put all the chips in on me, you, the, it's not going to happen. Let, them, let the enemy do what the enemy is going to do. Even if you have to go through some suffering with that, a remnant will return. You are going to make it because I'm with you. But if you, if, if you won't put your faith there, you will not stand at all. There is no place to stand. It's temporary. It's failing. There's only one place to stand that's permanent. And that's the God that's with you. With you. Whew. Let's go to the Lord now. And let me get the band and the singers to come forward. Let me get the... Uh, uh, servers to come forward. Let me get our ushers to come forward. We take communion here every week. If you're a follower of Jesus, you do not have to be a member of this church. We want to invite you to take this meal together with us. This meal we do every week because Jesus said, whenever you're together, I want you to take this meal. And part of the reason for that is to remind us every week that we need him. Food is a reminder that we cannot go very long on our own devices, right? We need something from outside of us to sustain us. And that's what Jesus is. And so on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. He took this cup and he reminded them that this is my blood that has been shed for you eat of this, drink of this in remembrance of me. I died that you don't have to. I was, I was, uh, I experienced shame and guilt that you don't have to, that you can stand before the Father on the last day and be received as a son or a daughter. Despite everything that you've done, despite everything that's happened in your life, you'll have a place to stand. You'll be standing on the righteousness of Christ and not your own righteousness. And the promise of Emmanuel is if your trust is in him, there is a place to stand on that last day. If you won't, there is no place to stand. It's not like God's being mean to you. There's no other place to stand. There's no other place to stand. It's the natural consequence of putting your trust in something that falls through, right? The natural consequence. So we're going to sing together. As the ushers come by, if you're a believer in Jesus, come forward, take that bread, dip it in the juice. You'll be reminded this is the body and blood of Christ. Take that back to your seat. Take that. If you have anything that you want to come down front and pray for, um, come on down. Pastor Chris, if you come down here with me, we'll both be down here. We'll be ready to pray with you if you need somebody to pray with you. If you just want to come down by yourself and bend the knee, you are welcome to do that. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to say a word. We just want to facilitate a time when we can put our chips in with Jesus this morning. Where we can say, it all belongs to you. I lay myself down on the altar. I do not have another place of which I rest. I rest in you.
I rest in you. Let's take this meal in Jesus' name.